I was working at a church up in Vestavia, and we lived in the Crestwood, Crestline area. So coming home for lunch, I mean, it wasn't a super long drive, but, you know, it was 20 minutes there, 20 minutes back. And so uh, most of the time just made lunch plans with other people or brought my lunch or whatever. And uh, that day I didn't have any lunch plans. And I had been thinking uh, a lot that morning about the word Antioch. Uh, it just kept coming to mind. Why was it even on my mind? I want to just kind of walk you through a couple of things. The very first time I even heard the word Antioch, I didn't even know that it was in the Bible, didn't even know uh, that, that, like, that that showed up here in these verses and so much of Acts. Um, I just heard when I was in college, there was a church like, um, like I think a state away that I just heard of that a friend went to. And I was like, oh, that sounds like a cool church name. And so, um, so I'll put that in the back of my mind. And then, um, but even then, this was probably 10 something years ago. Even then, I remember just thinking that there was just a sense the Holy Spirit was saying, pay attention to you. Antioch. Again, I didn't even know what it was at that point. I didn't even know it was in the Bible. And then um, that kind of stuck with me, though. And then fast forward a little bit to uh, February of 2018, and I was uh, at the church that, that I was a part of at that time. There was a missions conference going on, and they had a guy come in. And he was talking from these passages, Acts 11 and 13, about what God did so many years ago through these nobody, nameless followers of Jesus who loved Jesus and took him to people who didn't know him. And one of the greatest churches that was ever, that we've ever known was started because of the faithfulness of just a handful of people that were ordinary and talked about Jesus and shared Jesus. And again, then I was like, okay, now this is, for whatever reason, um, it just, again, I sense the spirit, um, just, just saying, pay attention to Antioch. And so I was like, all right. And so um, I just, you know, that was February and it just kind of kept popping my mind. In August, we knew that by that point we were going to be planting what became this church and what God was leading us to do. Um, and um, so I just decided to come home for lunch. And uh, on my way home, I just kept having this sense of like, I just need to like, I need to share this with Allie, my wife. And so I was like three minutes away from home. And I just kept thinking, about, I was like, hey, I was like, I feel like um, this church that is going to be happening, that we're going to be starting with a core team of people. I feel like God wants us to call it Antioch. And she was like, that's weird. You're not going to believe this, but I was literally just reading. I had my Bible open to Acts 11, 12, and 13, reading about Antioch. She was going through a study in Acts, and it just so happened to be there. And I was like, okay, that's, that's interesting. And so we got home and kind of just looked at each other, and we're like, I don't know what's going on here, um, but we need to start really praying about this in particular. And fast forward a little bit more to a few months later, we had a core team of people from our sending church, and, uh, and we brought it to them, and we said, hey, we want name suggestions from you. Um, we want to know kind of what, is there something that you feel like God might be leading us to call this church? Because we want a little bit of external confirmation. So we had ideas, and then we took a vote, and it landed on Antioch. And you're thinking, that's cool. Cool story, bro. What does that have to do with me? Um, I tell you all that to say, um, not that stuff like that happens in the Naylor household all the time, because it doesn't happen all the time. We're this kind of these Holy Spirit moments. It happens sometimes, and I'm sure they happen with you too. Um, but I tell you that to say this, that you're here, right? You may just be visiting for the first time. We're so glad that you're here. And some of you have been around for a while. Some of you are, are being around for a little bit, and you're here. And, and we're asking the Lord this year, Lord, what is it that you have for us? We came out of last year, and so many things got frustrated and upended. 
And um, as I talked about last week, I really don't, you know, really feel like this is, this is the time. To, like, so here's our five-year plan. Here's all of our lofty goals for this year. We're going to do this. We're going to go there. We're going to do this. It's just not the time, right? This is, this is the time to just humbly seek the Lord, be dependent on Him. And so in part of doing that, we're having, you know, some, some key prayer things that we're doing this year. Um, we really want to grow as a church that's a praying church. But along with that is looking at, okay, so this namesake that, you know, God led, um, led us to, what is, it about, what is it about what he did in Acts 11 and 13 in particular that um, is inspiring and informative for us today, right? We're not trying to copy. We're not trying to, you know, cut and paste. It's just simply, okay, God directed us here. So um, what is it that we need to see here? And so, you know, last week we looked at the first thing, and we're actually looking at the same passage last week. Uh, but we looked at how, uh, when it says in verse 20, that, that there were some of them, so there was this group of nameless, ordinary people who took Jesus with them when they were being persecuted. They had to pack their bags and just ended up in all these random places. Some of them ended up in Antioch, and they started talking about Jesus, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a bunch of people came to faith, and one of the greatest churches in history was started because of that. That's what we looked at last week, what, what God can do with people like you and me, uh, nobodies, with, uh, with the, the power of his spirit and the good news of his, uh, of his son. But today, I, I want to look actually uh, really in that same verse, but just a little bit further in verse 20. That's where we're really going to focus most of our time. Um, and seeing this, that what God did there and what's inspiring and I think informative for all churches, but us in particular as we're looking at this as our namesake, is that Jesus is about breaking down walls and building bridges. Jesus is about breaking down walls and building bridges. This is one of the main things we see pop up here from our brothers and sisters from centuries ago, this commitment to following Jesus to break down walls and barriers and to instead do the hard work of building bridges to outsiders, so to speak. So as we look at this, I want to walk through it in, in a few sections, in three sections. Uh, the first is this, break walls and build bridges to Jesus. It's just what, it's what is kind of highlighted for us, this, what's, um, this, this uh, example that's given to us that we're to imitate, break walls and build bridges to Jesus. Uh, the second is that we build walls and break bridges. So that's what we can often find ourselves doing building walls and breaking bridges. And then lastly, how does Jesus help us break walls and build bridges to those far from him? All right, so this, that's where we're, where, where we're going, okay? So this first section, break walls and build bridges. Um, I want us to look at verses 19 and 20. So again, in verse 19, it says this, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. I want to stop there for just a second. If you go back to the early, early church, right, the, the Jesus had really just, you know, ascended and given his Holy Spirit to his disciples, and all this stuff starts happening. The church was brand new at this time, and when you look at the church in this time, it was 100% Jewish. 100% Jewish. It was only people who uh, came from the, the lineage of, of Abraham and who had the covenants, had the scriptures, they had that heritage. Um, that's what it was birthed out of, right? So unless you're of Jewish heritage here, 
then you would not have been really part of, of that earliest movement of the gospel. There was, um, if you look here and you see uh, these, in verse 20, of these, some of them nameless men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who then come to Antioch, those would have been Jewish believers, right? So you've got Jewish believers getting scattered all over the place, and they're only bringing the gospel to Jewish non-believers. They're looking out, right? And this was, I mean, we can't really know exactly what was going on inside of their, their minds at this point, but for whatever reason, they were essentially sizing people up. And when they got to this, this new place, if someone didn't look Jewish, if they didn't look like them, then they skipped over them. They did not bring the message of the Messiah. They did not bring the message of Jesus to them. They overlooked them, and they went and found people that looked like them, that talked like them, that sounded like them, that acted like them, that had the same uh, background and upbringing as them. And yet, when we look in the verse 20, there were some of them who did something um, at, that would have been at that time groundbreaking and, and innovative, really, that they, on coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists also preaching the Lord Jesus. So who are these Hellenists? And that'd be pretty bad, right, to have the word hell in their name. Like, are these Hellions? What are these people? You know, like, riding their motorcycles late at night and disobeying their mom and dad and chewing tobacco? Who are these people? Uh, the Hellenists. Uh, you see them pop up a couple times, and um, here, and it always refers to, I mean, it's just a word that means Greek, right? So this would mean basically non-Jews. So these were they spoke a different language than the Jews of that time. And they had, they were just, you could just say they were just normal people. They had no religious, uh, specifically religious heritage necessarily. There was a lot of different beliefs going on. They were just people, right? And this massive city of Antioch, 500,000 people, it's just a major urban city, and these are just the people hanging out there, living there, right? Nothing, um, you know, no kosher laws or no, you know, not, nothing like that. They weren't religiously... Um, you know, following the Old Testament Torah, law, that kind of thing, um, they were very, um, they were different. They were different than the Jewish people. And there was a lot of, honestly, there was some animosity there, which shouldn't have been there, right? Because at some point, these, the, the Jews of, of that time, they had forgotten what their, they'd forgotten their roots, basically, that God had specifically selected them, blessed them to be a blessing, to the nation. Somewhere along the lines, they, they lost that. And then you have now um, a group of people with that Jewish heritage saying, you don't look like me. You don't sound like me. You don't vote like me. You don't worship like me. You may not worship at all. You don't live in the same neighborhood that I live in. You don't have the same socioeconomic status that I have. You know, the same skin color that I have. And yet, there was something in them, something that had clicked about who Jesus was, something that had clicked about the good news of Christ that motivated them to go beyond their camp, so to speak, to go to the other side of the tracks, to go to the other neighborhood where they really uh, naturally had no desire to go. They broke that wall and they built a bridge. And then it goes on to say what? That many people came to faith because of this. That the hand of the Lord was with them. 
But God was doing this new thing through their ability to grasp who Jesus was and go beyond where they were naturally comfortable going. The, the church that I came to faith through, um, I was in middle school. This was in Charlotte, North Carolina, where I grew up. Um, not having grown up in a Christian home, a friend invited me to church. Long story short, heard, heard the gospel, saw the love of Christ, and was like, I went in on this. Started going to this church, and it was a larger, mainly white, um, middle, upper class church. And it was situated right on um, I-65. So literally, the church is, is right on this, this massive interstate, facing the interstate. Right across the street from, uh, from the inter- interstate was a, was a ton of uh, pretty low-income apartments. And the church at that time was about 50 years old. And to my knowledge, I mean, there could have been somebody, but to my knowledge, I don't think there had been anyone from those apartments that had come to this church. And there hadn't been anybody from that church that had gone to those apartments. And one day there was a guy in the church who was like, um, I feel like we need to go across the street. I feel like we need to, there's a, you know, there's a bridge. I feel like we need to walk across, drive across this bridge and go over to these apartments so that we can just meet people, see if they know Jesus. And if they don't, if we can share Jesus with them, if we can help them in any way, if we can love them, if we can befriend them. And I heard him talking about this, and I was like, no, nah. I was like, I'm good. I'm good. I'm just going to stay over here. I'm not going to try and go over there and, you know, get into a bunch of who knows what's going to happen over there. I'm just going to stay over here. But a few people went with him, and before long enough, you know, they were going once or twice a week over here. And finally I realized, I was like, okay, I'm going to look like a, just a bad guy if I don't, like, jump in with this. And so I started going over there with him just because I was like, ah, everybody else is doing it. I don't want to look like bad. And so I went over there, and um, before long, I mean, there was always friendships that started getting formed. Before long, there was Bible studies that were happening. Before long, there was people that started coming over to our church. There were kids and families that started coming to faith, getting baptized. There was a vacation Bible school that we ended up doing in this community. All because there was one guy who said, let's literally cross the street. Let's, let's take the initiative to go somewhere that's not natural to us. Let's go to some people who look different than us who come from a totally different background than us because we feel like this is really what part of what following Jesus is about, that that's what he does. We don't overlook people that necessarily look and act and sound like us, but there's an intentionality that we go beyond that of what's natural so that God can do something supernatural, so that he can do something that only he can really get credit for, something that comes from, you know, really where his heart is. And so I think that You know, one of the things that this passage uh, wants us to see, wants to press on you, is how unsatisfying it is to stay in your bubble. And how thrilling it is to follow Jesus to the other side of the tracks. And that could look like a lot of things for you. That could look like, I mean, I think your bubble can get, uh, it it can pop up anywhere, right? It can pop up in, in the sphere of your school, your classes, it can pop up in the sphere of your roommates, the people that you live around. Obviously, it's just shoop. If you're a follower of Jesus here and you don't know Jesus, you know how that can happen, right? I remember that happening for me when I first came to faith. Like, the contacts in my phone, I felt like overnight, all my non-Christian friends, because that's all that I knew, that, I mean, like, they were still there, but I wasn't talking to them anymore. And then all the people that I was meeting through church, those are the only people that I was staying in contact with. 
This is something that, if we're not intentional about, this can so easily happen. Um, and then we find ourselves uh, not getting to taste and see this kind of thing that God can do when we are intentional to, like our brothers and sisters of old, take the, the good news of Jesus to those to maybe who we're not comfortable with um, or for whatever reason, which we're going to look at in just a second, we just don't end up crossing that bridge. So where are your bubbles? Where are your walls? That's what I, look, I want us to look at in the second section of the fact that, you know, so often we do build walls and we, and we break down bridges. And what I want to do is, um, is, is just give three walls that I think I've seen in my life um, and that I see in other people as well. These aren't the only ones. These aren't, may not even all hit you. But I think these are just some of the common ones of walls that we can build. Um, and we end up breaking down bridges. You know, so what, what are these walls that, that keep us insulated um, from people that are far from Jesus? And what keeps us from, as Ed Stetzer, who is a, uh, a leading American missiologist, this is somebody who studies the expansion of the gospel, the growth of the church, um, mission work, as he said, and which I think is so uh, correctly put when you look at this, the the sweep of the whole Bible, um, that Jesus did not give his church a mission. He gave his mission a church. I think most of us think that, that Jesus primarily was about establishing what we now know as church, right? Where we come and we sit politely and we listen and, you know, we sing and then we, we maybe throw a couple bucks in, in the plate or we text it in. And that's kind of it for the most part. And that there's a mission out there that some people that are really, you know, radical and committed and they get involved with. But the reality is when you look at the teachings of Jesus, you only see him mention the word church twice. And what you constantly see him saying is, come follow me, go make disciples. He's talking about the kingdom of God coming down to earth, the flourishing, the redemption, the new life that comes through the person of Christ that flows into you and that flows through you when you're connected to him, when you're walking with him. And gathering together to worship is certainly a part of that. We're commanded to do that, to not forsake that. Um, But there is so much more that God has for you. This is not the elite. There's so much more that God has for, for you. That Jesus did not give his church a mission. He gave his mission a church. That when you look Genesis to Revelation, you see that God is on a mission to rescue his enemies and make them into his children. And that was you, if you know Jesus. And then when you come to know Jesus, he involves you in that work of bringing rescue to his enemies and making them into his children. So the church exists as a means to that end, right? This is, not, this is not simply the point, just to come and sit and to listen and to do this. It's, it's great. We need it. I need it. We need one another in that way. Um, but this is to serve a purpose that is, uh, that is following Jesus into what we're seeing here of, uh, of taking the gospel uh, to those around us and specifically those who maybe is not natural. So I want to show us uh, three walls, three walls that I think we can easily build. And then the next section I want to talk about, what does it look like to take those walls and turn them over and, and to turn them into bridges? Um, so uh, we're going to get uh, to some of those slides in just a second. Uh, so the first wall is this. 
the first wall that we can build is, is, is simply this. I don't know how to help someone come to Jesus. I don't know how to do that. That's where most of us are to some degree. I don't really know what does it take to help somebody come to Christ. I mean, I may have grown up in the church. I may have been around for quite some time, but I feel like if it comes down to it, I don't really even know how to explain it. That's legit, and that's okay. And if that's where you're at, I'm glad you're here. You should have gotten a sticker on your way in that's going to solve all of your problems, okay? Just put it on your forehead, all right? And it just be there, or we're going to talk about that in a second, though, all right? And that's really all I have to say for wall number one. It's just, I don't know how. Second wall, um, I don't think they, whoever they are, people that you know, I don't think they would ever come to Jesus. I wish you could have known me before I knew Jesus. I would have totally been in that category of like, that kid's never coming to, to Christ. He's just doing his own thing. He's weird. He's, he has, he's shallow. He has, there's just no chance. Like he's, and if you really knew me, you'd know how messed up I was. Um, there's no chance that that weird, goofy kid with long hair is coming to faith. It's so easy, right, to, to have a mindset of, of, of doubt, not of faith. That you think about the people around you like, oh, man, this, I mean, this. if they don't know Jesus, they're not going to live like they're following Jesus, right? But so often we think, oh, man, like, I think it's easy maybe to, to think that uh, we, we project ourselves, if you've been following Jesus, project ourselves onto them and to think, well, they're not living like I am or they're not living like, I don't know, the people I go to church with. So we doubt that there could ever be transformation in their lives. And we allow that to be a wall. It's just like, ah, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to pray for them. I'm not gonna. It's just not going to happen. They're so out in left field. They're so whatever. Whoever that is in your life, whoever those kinds of people are in your life, they're just, they're never going to come to faith. Who is that? Who is that for you? We all have that. Con- obviously, or honestly, it's, you know, typically not subconscious, conscious. Outsiders, so to speak, they're never coming in. They just, they just won't. That's the second wall. The third wall is this that we build up. And I think it's what I think it's what we see here, and I think it's one of the the it's the hardest one, and it's one of the thicker ones to break through, is I don't want them to come to faith in Jesus. That if we're just brutally honest with ourselves, there are some people you don't want walking into this church. There are just it maybe it's a kind of person, culturally or just personality-wise. Or maybe it's a specific person that if you're honest, you, it's like maybe they could, but I don't want them to. I don't want to end up in heaven with that person forever. They've hurt me. I don't like them. Or this, what does it say about me if that person can get into? If I have to be on level playing field with this kind of person. I don't know who that is for you. I don't know what kind of person that is for you. Um, but it makes me think about uh, Old Testament story of Jonah. It, this Old Testament prophet was told by God to go to Nineveh. And as soon as God told him to go to Nineveh, a, a, a city known for not <laughs> loving and knowing God, um, doing the opposite, he, what does he do? He literally gets on a ship and goes to the opposite side of the world. Because as, as the, the, the book of Jonah goes on, we begin to see that 
Jonah didn't want the Ninevites to come to faith. He hated them. He despised them. And at the very end, you begin to see that God is honing in on him to show him really the reason that it comes down to is he doesn't really understand grace. He doesn't understand that these people could get in too. He, his, his religious pride is threatened by these very worldly people getting into the kingdom. So, you know, where's your Nineveh? Who are your Hellenists, so to speak? Where, where are those bubbles? Because if we're all honest, we have people in those categories that we're like, I just don't want them. For whatever reason, I just don't want them to. I'm honest. So, you know, whether your wall is, is a lack of knowledge, like I just don't know how, or if it's, if, if it's really a lack of faith, like I just don't, I just struggle to believe that God can do something fresh and move and Look, I haven't seen him do that in my life, or I haven't seen him do it in a long time, and I just don't know. Or if it's a lack of love, or some combination of, of all those, right? I'm going to bring those to the Lord and, and say, this is where I'm at. Help me. Help me. Which brings us to our third and final section of how to break walls and build bridges to Jesus. So like I said, I want to take those walls and, and turn them over to be, be bridges and walk us through a little bit of this. You know, that first, bridge, or that first wall was, I don't know how to help them come to Jesus. So why don't we just take that, turn on its side, and turn to a bridge, right? I know how to help them come to Jesus, okay? This is where your stickers come in, which I think I see one on the forehead of someone. Good job. Thank you. Um, if everyone could please put your sticker on your forehead now, that would be great. Fine, please. Um, I thought that's what that was. That's great. Thank you. Um, let's, let's, let's do this, all right? So here's the first thing, which I'm about last week. Pray. I'm serious about this. I'm dead serious. I'm not, that, that's not being trite, and you don't need to be trite about that. There are, James talks about this, there are things that don't happen because you don't ask God for them. And there are things that will only happen if you ask him for them. If you have a longing to see God do something in you, through you, around you, but you feel inadequate, you don't even know where to start Pray. Bring that to the Lord. Last week you talked about having a lost list, right? You know, a list of five people that you see on a regular basis that you're praying for. You're praying for them by name. You are praying for opportunities in COVID world to actually see them or, you know, see them safely. And when that happens, thirdly, to have love and to have boldness to, sh- to show Jesus and to share Jesus. Listen, none of us especially me, cannot do this. Especially. None of us can do this in our own strength, right? But we are humbly depending on the Lord to show up and be our strength. So first pray, and then second, I want to show you a really simple way to share Jesus. You've got it on your sticker. Some of you have it on your foreheads. And we're also going to put it up here on the screen, I think, in, in a second. Um, and uh, when it comes up on the screen, you're going to see that it's, it's pretty much the same what you have on your sticker there. Uh, it's called the three circles. And so what we have here on the screen really is exactly the same there, but this just has the words, okay? So there's kind of two different versions. Uh, this one has the words, and then what you have is the images, okay? So I figured I'd show you the words to kind of uh, help you catch what the images are about. This is a tool, right? It's not perfect, um, but it's a tool. It's a tool that I use. I've used it uh, quite a bit with people, um, you know, especially when we do prayer walks or there's just somebody that you've known for a long time or somebody you just met, um, it's as easy as just asking, like asking for permission, right? Hey, can I share with you what 
we believe as Christians about Jesus. If they say no, then yeah, you're good. If they say yes, then you can share. You can draw this on a napkin. You can, uh, you know, I've got the sticker on my phone. There's an app as well. If you're, if you're a modern person, we have an app. Not we, there is an app someone made. It's called Life on Mission. You can look that up. But it starts with God's design. You just draw a circle, write God's design in there. Our Believe Yours has a heart in there. Um, and this is, where, this is where it starts. That God created everything good. That God created us to know him, to walk with him, to be loved by him, and to love him, and to enjoy it. But it's because we made a decision to turn away from that and to essentially be our own gods. Um, and yeah, I see some people passing out ones. If you don't have one, just throw up your hand. We can get one to you. Um, because we chose to become our own gods and to reject God, to put ourselves on the throne um, with what we call sin. That's how the Bible talks about sin, that we live at the center and put gods on the margin. Because of that, that leads to all kinds of brokenness. And you see there the, the brokenness with the arrows coming out. Um, I heard someone explain this way. I think it's really helpful, this idea, the visual of like, it's, it's, it's like we try to appease and fix that brokenness that we all feel because of sin, right? The, the, the penalty of sin is death, and we feel that now, and then ultimately when we die, it just feels like death, right? And we try to make it feel better through whatever. Sex, money, power, Xbox, anything. We'll do anything. A relationship, a dog, whatever, a pet. We'll do anything, right? To, to drugs, alcohol, addictions, brokenness. But anytime we take one of those routes, like a bungee cord just pulls you back to earth, right? Just slams you back down over and over and over again. And ultimately, you get to a place where you just, you know, some people get desperate and get suicidal, right? But we all, to some degree, feel that brokenness. But God decided to not leave us there. He sent Jesus, who is God in flesh. We call this the gospel. Gospel simply means good news. The good news that God would come for his enemies to take the penalty of your decision to reject him, which is death, and take that in himself freely for you. And this is where I like to get clear with people. This is, this is the distinguishing, defining difference between Christianity and any, any other faith system or any other um, worldview or way of thinking about life, that, that the God that you serve, your master, comes to die for you. And that all it takes is repenting and believing. Repenting means turning to the Lord. We see the time of this passage, that they believed and they turned to the Lord. They humbled themselves and said, I've been going this way, and yeah, it's not going to be perfect moving forward, but I'm turning to you, Lord. You are now the one who gets to call the shots in my life because you laid down your life for me. I'll give my life to you. And the work that you're called to do is to believe, to simply believe. And as we do this, God begins to recover and pursue his, his original design for us, right? And then you go back to that circle over the course of your whole life, basically, right? Just time and time again, where you're believing in Jesus, but you find yourself in brokenness, and then you believe in him more, and you find yourself getting restored, and then find yourself in brokenness, and then you believe in him deep, and just, he takes you deeper and deeper with him. But that's a simple way to share. Um, a simple way to share what we believe about Jesus. So we take that wall, turn it into a bridge. I know how to do that. We do this when we do our prayer walks, which may sound incredibly intimidating to you. If it does, good, you're normal, okay? Um, but we would love for you to join us for these when we go on campus. 
once a week when we go, uh, as we're going to be starting this Saturday um, in the city, once a month, just to pray. And we're praying for opportunities to get to encounter people, ask them, hey, we're Christians, how can we pray for you? Um, and then oftentimes, you know, they'll share, and we can open up and say, can we share with you what we believe about Jesus? And oftentimes, they do. And um, there's been some cool stories that have come out of that. So we'd love for you to join us uh, for those. Um, and then I want to bring you to the second bridge, all right? So turn that second wall into a bridge that we, the wall being, I don't believe that they can come to Jesus. The, the, the bridge being, I do believe that they can come to Jesus. How do you how do you break down the doubt and allow God to inspire you with some imagination? Um, well, first is this is recognizing that there is such a thing called the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. As Alex walked us through a couple weeks ago in John 16, um, which reads like this, 16, 7 through 8. Uh, this is Jesus talking. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. That's the Holy Spirit. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, in you and through you, is the power to do things that you, you want to see God do, that you long for the imagination to see God do, but only he can do. It's only through his Holy Spirit. So remember that the Holy Spirit is real and uh, that he's with you. And then secondly, um, See the micro steps of coming to faith. All right, so I've, I've got a thing I want to put up here uh, on the screen called the Engel Scale. And uh, the Engel Scale, what it does is, um, is it shows you there's little steps that people take in coming to faith. Um, it'll pop up in a second for us. But what it does is, is it's, it's, not a, it's not a science necessarily. Um, there it is. It's, it's simply an illustration to show what happens for every single person as they come to faith. Again, it's not these exact steps necessarily, but I do think they generally s serve to be true. But what it is, it helps break down this idea of like, okay, this, this person is just like, just like that, they have to come to faith. And it, and it cuts out all the tiny steps in between that give us the patience to love people over the long haul, to continue praying for people, to continue befriending people, because it takes those steps. Now, it might take somebody just a couple hours to kind of go through these steps of like, you know, all the way at the bottom of they have some awareness of God to, you know, there's this kind of openness to Christianity. And then one of the turning points is they meet a Christian. They meet somebody that knows Jesus, that has the message of the gospel. Then they hear it, and then they start to consider it. Then they start to assess what it means for their life. Again, these are not conscious steps that you're walking somebody through or they're, they're even taking, but just generally, these, it's, it's a process, right? It's a process, so give people, give yourself, give everybody space, right, to go through this process with Jesus and to be willing to take that slow route of staying in somebody's life, befriending them, sharing with them, loving them when they say no, sharing with them again. Um, this, you know, this applies to the people you think would never come to Jesus because it's those little steps along the way. You see this happening with people throughout, um, throughout the Bible, um, Zacchaeus being one of those. If you chart the story of Zacchaeus in the Gospels, you see him uh, taking these steps where it's like, that guy's never come to faith, and then all the way to being one of Jesus' really closest um, followers. This is definitely what happened to me. Took a course of a couple months. It's definitely what happened to my parents. Took them a couple years. And this is definitely what happened to you. If you grew up in the church, it was a process, right? 
Maybe you didn't grow up in the church. It was a process, right? This brings me to the, the last bridge um, of not, you know, the wall, not wanting someone to come to Jesus, and then the last bridge being, I want them to come to Jesus. How do you get there? How do you develop love for anybody, especially someone who you don't even necessarily want to be their friend, let alone have to call them a brother or sister in, in, in Christ? It, it really comes down to this, that because when that happens, your, your issue is not with another person. The issue is not with that person. The issue is with you and God. The issue is that you do not see that this is exactly what Jesus has done for you, that he himself went to the other, other side of the tracks for you, that you were lost, dead in your sins, hopeless without him, and you needed to be rescued by him. It is so easy for whatever reason to get out of touch with that. That is the only thing that will develop love and empathy and care for those that are far from Christ is staying in touch with how desperately you need Jesus. I think about the Apostle Paul. I think this was part of why his, his ministry was so powerful because he said something like this, I am the chief of sinners. He didn't point the finger at everybody else. He said, I am the chief of sinners. He was in touch with his desperate need for a Savior. Continually. And because of that, that led him to take the gospel as a Jew to people who were very far from Christ. I think that is ultimately the only thing that's going to help you and help me is to get more and more comfortable with your desperate need for Jesus. That it took God becoming a man and having his body turned into the bridge for you on the cross for you to get into the kingdom. That leveling playing field that we like to call grace. Undeserved kindness and favor. That is, that is the only thing that ultimately will motivate you to be willing to take risks. That's the only thing that's going to motivate you to love your neighbors, to pray for anybody. That's, that's really all that it is. That, that fire that burns within you that can so often get cooled off of I have encountered this person, Jesus, and there is no one like him. There, I have never met anyone like him. And right, it's easy to get distant from Jesus. But ultimately, it's about coming back to Jesus, being with Christ, remaining in him, abiding in him, staying with him, being around him. That's what he calls us to do, to come follow him. Be around him. Let him rub off on you. Let his sacrificial love for you rub off on you to be willing to do that for others. His risk-taking, life-giving love to lead you to be risk-taking and life-giving in your love. Something that's only possible through the, the, the presence of, of his spirit in you. Right? This is all of him. And ultimately, this is a gift, right? This, this is what it takes, right? That we don't work for God's acceptance. We, we work from it. We don't do anything for God's love. We do anything we do from his love. We don't work for his favor. We work from it. He's given it to you if you know Jesus as a free gift. So lay hold of it. Maybe what you need to do tonight is just ask the Holy Spirit to help you reconnect with Jesus. To help you reconnect with how desperately you need him. And if you are like, I'm there, then hear this. 
he's right there with you. That he loved you then, and he loves you now. He loved you before you were ever born, before the foundations of the earth, as Ephesians says. So we do, we do any of this. We, we, we try to follow Jesus on his mission because we love Jesus, because he first loved us, and because we hate lostness. We love Jesus, and we hate lostness. We hate the lostness that we were in. We hate the lostness that we could have been in if Jesus didn't step in. And we hate the lostness that others are in. We love others because he first loved us. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we need you. Uh, We need your grace, your power, your provision. God, we thank you that you came to rescue us, and we ask that you would have mercy on us for how often our hearts are prone to wander, as we sung about earlier, prone to leave the God that we love, to wander away from who you are, to wander away from the cross and the resurrection of Christ. Father, we need your Holy Spirit's power to stay closely connected with Jesus to reconnect with Jesus. God, we want to humbly just say to you, God, that we, we want to have the imagination um, of, of the early church, that you can do things far beyond whatever we could ask or imagine, and we confess that so often we don't. And so we bring that to you and just, just ask, Father, that you give each of us, as we walk with you, day by day, moment by moment, give us faith. Give us love. Give us your love. God, shed it abroad in our hearts so that we can love those around us. We need, we need you desperately in all things. We need you for this. So for my brothers and sisters who are um, anxious or nervous or feeling, feeling beat down and defeated, God, would you remind them of your love, your favor, your acceptance, your rescue on them that is regardless of anything else. And God, would you call us to more? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.